If you are using the electronic bulletin, then our scripture passages are right there in the electronic bulletin. If you're using your paper bulletin, you will notice that I did not print the New Testament passage. That was an accident. The New Testament passage is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. Romans chapter 3. So if you would, open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. We'll begin reading in verse 29. So with your Bibles open to Leviticus chapter 16, in honor of God's word, please stand. Leviticus chapter 16, beginning in verse 29, hear God's word. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded it. As far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, and continuing in the reading of God's word. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bore witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold. The law. As far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, we have read, we now come to the preaching and the conscionable hearing of your word. Would you prick the conscience, bring to life, heal, and grant that we may go forth from this place more in love with our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated.
So I want you to think over the millennia of all the people who have read these words. From the original hearers, Hebrews, 2,000 years ago, nomadic desert wanderers, the people who have read these words since, the nation of Israel, both in the promised land and then in exile. But you think of the people who have read these words like Augustine, people that have used this book as their guide through their life, literally from every tongue and tribe and nation, people today who find God-breathed wisdom and purpose in life. What is it about this book? What is it about this story? What is it about this book that reaches beyond any cultural demarcation? This is not a Western gospel by any means. I mean, this is pure Hebrew right here. This is ancient Near East culture that we are all immersed in right now. What is it about these stories that have shaped men and women for millennia. Now, here's another way of asking the same question. And this one specifically is to you young people. I was raised in a Christian home. My parents were committed Christians. And we had family worship regularly, and they took me morning and evening worship and prayer meetings on Wednesday. I was raised in a Christian home. And you know how I defined Christianity? You know how I defined what's on the pages in front of you? You know how I defined this whole thing that is called church and sitting through a sermon? It's a bunch of rules. A bunch of rules that my mom and dad were telling me how to live, that a preacher was telling me how to live. There's a bunch of rules, and I looked around me, and I saw hypocrisy. I saw my dad saying, don't lose your temper, and then losing his temper. I saw my mom saying, be responsible, and then not being responsible in my eyes, or whatever. There were so many ways in which, as a young person, I could point out the inadequacies, the perceived inadequacies, that I just said, this is ridiculous. They say it, but they don't follow. I'm done. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-twenties that I had this profound insight. And I'll tell you how profound it was. It was profound because it was the first time my deaf ears had ever heard it. You see, I'd been hearing the phrase over and over and over and over again all my life. 
the phrase of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I knew that line. I knew it well. I knew all about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet my anger, my rebellion, I thought was against rules. It was not until I came to realize on the other side of this is a person, a being, a person who is, a person who has created all. A person who is alive and speaks to us through creation and clearly and specifically through his word. It was not until I bowed before a person, not an ideology, not an ethic, not a set of rules, not a philosophy, It was when I bowed my knee before God that I truly began to understand what it is to live a Christian life. When I bowed my knee before God, when I said, there is a person on the other side of this that I have been at war with. And this person runs the show. And this person (laughs) that I am constantly at war with, my battle isn't changing that person one iota. God is still God. He is still on His throne. And the laws of his world, the laws of his universe still exist. And all I'm doing is beating my head against a brick wall. As another individual heard it, he heard the word, Saul, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. (laughs) It's hard for you. To live your life with God constantly goading you and saying, this is the way, walk you in it. And you saying, no, I will not. Because there's a person on the other end. And this person invites you into a story. It's a story that begins from before all time, before the foundations of the earth. He calls to a people in love. He sets up His creation out of His pure love, out of His his pure grace. There is nothing in Him that needs worship. He has no lack of anything. But out of pure love and grace, He creates men and women to worship Him and to enjoy His presence. And sin happens. Sin enters into the world. Our first parents sin. They transgress the command. And so all around us is brokenness. There's brokenness in our toil. There's brokenness in the creation around us. There's brokenness in in all of it. And so God does this glorious 
story painting this glorious picture that begins with a garden and it culminates here in Leviticus chapter 16. And it's a story that shows that there is evil and chaos that is out there and God intrudes into this darkness. He comes into the very realm that Satan has said, I now own. It is all broken. It is all corrupt. It is all mine. And God enters into it with the tabernacle. He creates Eden again. The Holy of Holies. He shows you the depth of your sin. You remember all those passages on leprosy? All those passages about how the corruption is throughout the land, the corruption is in my own body, the corruption cuts you off, the corruption comes out, but that corruption, beloved, is healed. And so the story culminates in Leviticus chapter 16. We've hit the high point. We have hit the entire gospel of the entire Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 16 is the very peak that begins in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. It's the story that begins in Genesis 1-1 and it absolutely peaks at the Day of Atonement. The day in which God declares His people are at peace and holiness is now going to go out into the world. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, The high day of the Jewish calendar. The glorious day. So how did the Pharisees happen? How did the Pharisees happen? How did we end up with a nation of people, an entire community of people built around the idea that a holy God redeems to himself a holy people, calls themselves to be a kingdom of priests before him, calls them to be holy before him, and we end up with formalism. I started by saying... This is directed to covenant children, covenant youth, because that's what a Pharisee is. He's a covenant child. He's a covenant child who has not learned the lesson of the passage in front of us this morning. Look at that passage again with fresh eyes. Here is the Day of Atonement. We've already seen these glorious aspects of it where where Aaron goes through his cleansing ritual, and now we have a holy high priest. And then Aaron goes through the ritual of sending the goat away into the wilderness, and we have the man coming and reporting, the deed is done, the sin is forgiven. We have Aaron coming out in the glorious beauty of the high priest, declaring to God's people that holiness now comes from the mercy seat over the altar and out through all the people into the wilderness. We have this glorious scene repeated year after year after year after year after year. Why weren't they shaped by it? 
Let me ask the question another way. We have another glorious scene that's repeated week after week after week after week, and that's the table. Week after week after week after week, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Week after week after week after week, we take the bread, we take the wine. Why do some walk away? Unchanged. And why do some walk away gloriously impacted? The answer is in our text. If you look back at verses 29 and following, you'll see a word that pops up a couple of times here. You see it first in verse 29. You shall afflict yourselves. And then down in verse 31, it is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And then finally in verse 34, this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. You see, it's when you and I engage from the heart. We have the rituals. We have the forms. We have the means of grace. Why is it that one person hears one sermon And comes away going, oh, that was glorious, that was so convicting, that was so beautiful. Another person hears the exact same sermon and goes, wow, that was disjointed. That was, he he repeated himself far too many times or just simply says, yeah, are we done? Beloved, it's in your hands. Young people, it's in your hands. It is you that are to reach out and grab hold. And you grab hold by recognizing the nature of your heart. By recognizing that there is a holy God on the other end of this thing. And that you and I are worthy of death. If that affects your heart, if that affects your life, then it's going to dramatically transform how you see these passages. The the mystery of the gospel, really, the mystery of what I do as a preacher, the mystery of what I do as a minister of the gospel, is that I will say the exact same thing. And sometimes people will say, wow. Sometimes people will say, meh. Sometimes people say, what? (laughs) My words, my eloquence, the force of it, grabbing somebody by the throat and shaking them and all that doesn't do a thing. Does not do a thing. It is God by His Spirit that brings us alive to this reality. And beloved, the reality is this. A holy God 
calls you to be a holy people. Calls you to be separate from sin. Calls you, calls you to be separate from everything that is death. So that you can find joy and life in Him. Now to a young person, that sounded like rules. Calls me to be separate from sin. Right? Okay, give me the list. What is just give me the list. I'll do it. Separate from sin. That's not the image you see here. That's not what you see in the passage that is before us. If you see this picture, if you see the picture that God paints for us here, this picture of a tabernacle, this picture of a sacrifice, The burnt offering, burning day and night, constantly held forth for the people of Israel. Constantly. You could look up at night and see the burnt offering there. The gospel always being held forth to you. The gospel always calling out to you. But you have to lift your eyes to see it. The serpent in the wilderness there to save the one who will gaze upon it. And beloved, you will only gaze upon it when you see your need. Now this is not something I'm coming up with. You heard it already in the reading of the law, which comes from the Pentateuch. Circumcise the foreskin of your hearts. But because there's always this thing in us, To just go through the motions. Just tell me the list. Give me the list. Let me check it off. Let me get this stuff done. Even this great day of atonement that starts in the morning and goes all the way to evening. Even this glorious day. Are we done yet? Is it over yet? Isaiah chapter 58. Now you know what's going on in Isaiah's time. Israel has finally been cut off. They are being sent into exile. God is finished. And that is the book of Isaiah. He's finished with the nation, but he's not finished with the people. That's the second half of the book of Israel, uh, of Isaiah. The second half of the book of Isaiah. But the people of Israel are complaining against God. They're saying, what do you mean you're done with us? We don't deserve this. We've been doing it. We've gone to church every Sunday. We've put our tithe in the offering plate. We've come to the Lord's table every Sunday. We've done the stuff. Isaiah says, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold. In the day of your fast, 
you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom will be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire and scorch places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Do you hear God crying out to his people? Do you hear God crying out and saying, give me your heart? I'm not looking for you. There's nothing magical about this or that or the other, the routines, the the forms. There's nothing there. If it is not made alive, if, if you are not made alive to it, and if it is not made alive to you, there is nothing there unless you and I give our hearts to God. Now, Isaiah 58, I didn't read the entire chapter. The next, the next verse is, I just want two more verses. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you hear God's promises? Again, you can look back at Isaiah 58 later if you want. Double check me. But Isaiah 58 is summed up in two ways. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Jesus flips them. But in the first portion of Isaiah, Isaiah is saying, or God is saying through Isaiah, you're fasting, you're even spreading sackcloth. I want you to love your neighbor as you do yourself. I want you to care for the one that God places in your midst. I want you to care for the brother, the sister, that God places in your very presence. That's how you show that you love me. And secondly, delight in me. Just delight. 
There's nothing more beautiful than the child of God who delights in his or her father's presence. All these things, beloved, the tabernacle, the sacrifice, the atonement, all of these outward signs and, 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 and rituals, all of them point to a person. And to specifically the work of a person. To Jesus Christ, who has made that way, that that gulf between a holy and perfect God and a holy and perfect Eden and creation as it should be, and the nasty junk that is all around us and that comes up from within me, that nastiness in between these two things stands a person. Not a list. A person. That person is lovely. He is holy. He is beautiful. He stands there with arms open, pierced hands to receive. And he invites you to come as a child and lay your head upon him. And he promises that he will care for you. Not an ethic. Not a list. A person. Year after year, Leviticus chapter 16, year after year, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, a statute forever, an invitation to the Israelite to see and afflict themselves. To see my need. To see your need. And how many Israelites every single year went through this glorious reenactment. And every single year never got it. And beloved, on the one hand, it is no mystery. On the other hand, it's a profound mystery. On the one hand, it is no mystery. Because they were looking for a list of rules. And God doesn't give them a list of rules. He invites you into his story. But the second is, it is a mystery. It is a mystery how the wind blows where it wills. How the Spirit of God does what he will. How he will bring one to life and how he will harden another. How he will take a young man, a young woman, and keep them dull in their sin until finally they've been broken enough to learn. How he will take another young man, young woman, and give them a tender heart from the earliest days. It's a mystery to me. As a father... I don't know how 
the Word of God does the work that God sends it forth to do. But I do know this. As a father and as a child of God myself. The calling is on me. The calling is on you. God from the very beginning said, this is about your heart. There's a person who has loved Israel, has redeemed them from all their sorrow, has delivered them out by His mighty and outstretched hand from the land of darkness and slavery and sin, and has brought them and made them a kingdom of priests. That is opened up for us in the New Testament where we see the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. To circle back, my problem was I saw a list. I didn't see a person. Here again is the mystery. If you and I see the person, if you and I see Jesus Christ, if you and I dwell on Jesus Christ, if you and I dwell on His loveliness, if you and I dwell on His beauty, if you and I dwell on what Jesus Christ has done for us, you know what? You don't need a list. You don't need one. You would desire to be so much like this glorious Savior that you would be much harder on yourself than anybody around you could ever be. You would be saying, Jesus Christ, purge every stain of leprosy out of my life. Let me be like you. You are beautiful, you are lovely, you are kind, you are merciful, you are holy, you are right, you are true, you are just, and in your ways there is goodness and life. There is purpose and direction, there is healing, there is joy and there is a promise that you will sustain me and keep me and carry me through and that one day I will know you even as I am known by you. Beloved, the more you see that Jesus, the more you see that person, the less you need a list. The more you need your Savior. That person that is on the other end of this equation, there's you on one side, and there's a person on the other. That person is the God who made heaven and earth, who set this whole thing up and who sustains it by the word of His power. He is the one who sets the courses of the stars in the heaven. He is the one who says to the ocean, thus far you shall come and no more. He is the one who bridles Leviathan. And He is the one who is holy who has entered into the darkness, has taken on flesh, 
has taken your life upon himself so that you might have his life upon you. Almighty God, your love overwhelms. That love that drove you to send your Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Help our hearts, our lives today and this week to be just a little better reflecting of that beautiful and perfect love. In Christ's name, amen.